Welcome to Virtual Student Experiences, where we inspire students to aspire. For more information, please check out our website at www.virtualstudentexperiences.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Virtual Student Experiences Season 2 webinar. Today's webinar will focus on social justice. If you're new to our program, Virtual Student Experiences is a pro bono initiative spearheaded for students by students. We at VSE want to be the inspiration for aspiration, and our goal is to give students around the world an opportunity to hear from professionals in their career area of interest in a friendly and casual setting. If you're a student that knows what you want to do, we at VSE want to encourage, allow, and connect you with professionals. Through VSE, students are given the chance to decide if their career of choice really fits their skills, personality, and of course, their overall interest. Through VSE, you'll be able to hear from a wide variety of guests from a variety of seniority levels. To find out more information and to be notified about upcoming webinars, you can visit our website at virtualstudentexperiences.com. And before we get started, I just want to let you all know some housekeeping stuff, so hang on tight. Firstly, I'm going to be asking our guest professional that I'll introduce in a second, a series of base knowledge questions, so you can get a, get a, get a, uh, sorry, get a good idea of who she is and really what she does. If at any time you think of a question, feel free to post in the Q&A module and we will get to it in the later part of the webinar. We highly recommend that you ask questions during this webinar because it's an opportunity to get an answer right here, right now, instead of reading about it later on the internet. And quickly introducing our VSC team of volunteers, we have Buddy, Gabby, Jonathan, Coco, and Tommy. And without further ado, our guest today is Ms. Cunningham. Ms. Cunningham is an extremely knowledgeable and experienced social worker with her early career in education starting in the area of law. After graduating cum laude from New York Law School, uh, Ms. Cunningham passed the New York State Bar Exam and the New Jersey Bar Exam at the same day. Uh, most recently, Ms. Cunningham has been working as a therapist and consultant for CAC Consulting in New York. Most inspiringly, her mission for, for consultancy uh, includes, but is not limited to, and I quote, promoting a broad and deep understanding of the scope and impact of the criminal justice system, understanding the role uh, in the criminal justice system, and the lives justice involved individuals end quote. Uh, so thank you very much for joining us today, Ms. Cunningham. Thank you for inviting me. Right, so just to start off, can you tell us a little bit about how uh, or really what social justice is and maybe how you got into that field? <laughs> what social justice is? Well, that's a big one. Um, right, social justice obviously cuts across many areas. Um, I'm not even sure how I would describe it in a very broad sense. My own focus has always been on reform in the criminal legal system. Um, so it's essentially trying to change, change the system, not even reform it, but change the system into something that is more humane and more accurately um, pursues the work that it claims to do, which is public safety, um, and try to root out what I see as systemic oppression that exists within that system. And that is broadly what social justice is, is like, identifying and trying to change systems of oppression. Um, what's with that? What was the second part of the question? Sorry. <laughs> uh, how you got into the field of social justice? Oh, okay. That's a longer question. Yeah, I've been very interested in politics and justice from, I mean, really from childhood. Um, and then I really began studying it and working towards it as a college student at North Carolina State University, where I was a poli-sci major. Continued that work into law school, as you mentioned, New York Law School, where I 
worked with the then president of the ACLU and became more deeply engaged in the work. And then, and this is a very short summary of um, how I got to this point, but um, then finally, I did work briefly as a lawyer, did not like that career at all. I did go back to school for my social work degree at New York University. And that is where I really became fully engaged in criminal legal, just the criminal legal system and reforming that. One of the things that I observed as a student was that it was something that was not covered well in the program, particularly how social workers can work professionally with people who are justice involved. Uh, and just to be clear, I'll, I'll probably use that term again, justice involved meaning anyone who has had direct contact with the criminal legal system been arrested, been convicted, on probation, parole, all that. Um, so as a student, I decided to start using my background, my background in political science and law, and I developed my first um, presentation, my first um, yeah, presentation on working with justice involved people, which I presented for one of, for a first year class at NYU. And I've since, continued doing that afterward. I've done it for several organizations. And that, that's my primary focus on social justice work now, um, is doing three or four hour presentations to mainly social work professionals, but also others on understanding the scope and impact of the criminal legal system, understanding the concepts and terminology of it, and then talking about how to work professionally within that population and how to work towards social justice in this area as well. Great. Um, and then maybe can you speak to maybe where your passion or your interest for social justice really began? Did it really root from your experience um, at the collegial level or did it root more from maybe your dislike for the practice of law? Um, some of it, no doubt, stemmed from my practice of law because I did do some criminal defense work. Um, it mainly really focused itself as far as criminal legal, just criminal legal system as a social work student. One of the things that I did while at NYU is I started working with one of the professors there who's become my mentor since then. He was at the time organizing a mass incarceration conversation series at the school, which was a series of monthly talks at the school with justice involved people about their experiences and about different aspects of the system. So I started working with him and I started meeting some of the people and just became more connected with that community in general and saw the opportunity to try again, to use the background that I had to make a difference. Um, you know, I think having the background in political science and law really helped a lot. Between political science, law, and social work, I consider myself trilingual in this area. Um, you know, as far as understanding all of the system. I, I can talk about it in a way that people in the individual areas can't necessarily. Cool. Um, and then maybe you've talked about your educational experience. But can you maybe speak to what role that played in your success and maybe how important it is to go to a name school or to get good grades? Or maybe is there a balance between good grades and going to a name school? There's definitely a balance, I think. Um, 
you know, of the schools that I went to, I'm not sure how much they qualify as name schools for one thing. Um, um, I mean, NYU certainly does. Uh, well, let me let me actually start there because it's it's probably the more interesting part of this. You know, NYU is a very NYU social work program is a very clinical focused school, so it's really designed mainly to teach people how to become therapists. Uh, they do certainly touch on social justice. I mean, they, they try to cover it, um, but they don't do it extensively. You know, other schools like Columbia is more noted for that, especially as far as criminal legal criminal justice system. And I actually found that to be an advantage for myself because I didn't kind of have their perspective of criminal justice reform. Being at NYU, I was able to develop my own. Um, but you know, I, I think I'd like to go, I guess go back more directly to your question though of balancing name school and grades. You know, grades I think are very important as far as to the extent that they reflect how well you're learning the material while you're learning in school. Um, depending on the profession, grades may or may not matter afterward. You know, law school in particular, you know, passing the bar is what matters. Uh, very few employers are really going to look at your GPA after. Uh, depending on the area of law you want to work in, the name of the school might, might matter very much. Um, especially higher in social justice, higher name organizations might prefer to hire someone from Harvard or Yale. Um, largely, you know, this is not an official statement by any of them, but I think it's mainly because you can get a Harvard grad for you know, virtually minimum wage in one of those jobs. Um, so they will go for that. Ultimately, though, I think what matters is, you know, what your interest is and how well the school is going to prepare you for that. Having said that, I think you, know, you can learn a lot at almost any school. You know, North Carolina State University does not have a huge name in political science, but I think I learned a lot while I was there. Awesome. Um, and then I actually touched on this a little bit and you spoke a little bit about it, um, but can you maybe speak about how you kind of took the bar exam uh, two times in the same day and passed it? Because it's notably one of a very, very difficult exam that you study multiple hours for, like, I think it was hundreds of hours you study for a bar exam. So can you speak a little bit about how you passed two of those? Oh, um, actually, I'm sorry, I'm, I meant to um, address that before. Um, I mean, I, I passed them both. I took them both at the same time, not the same day, though. Right. Um, the way the bar exam works is not this year because nothing this year is working the way it usually does, but typically they all happen in July and February. And each state has a day, and then there's a multi-state day. So like everyone in the country is taking the multi-state exam, and then you're taking your own individual state. New York and New Jersey time it out so that New York's exam is Tuesday, the multi-state is Wednesday, New Jersey is Thursday. So you can take both exams in the same three-day span. Um, and it's not uncommon, especially I mean, maybe in states where there's not another state close by, it doesn't happen as much. Um, certainly in New York and New Jersey, it happens a lot. Um, so yeah, I, I took New York and New Jersey in that same three-day span and passed both at the same time. 
I mean, it is a lot of work to accomplish that, though. That's really interesting. I'm not trying to undersell what I did there. (laughs) That's yeah, that's really cool. I didn't know that. Um, And then maybe can you also speak a little bit about your time uh, at Social Work Counseling Services? Uh, That's that's my current position. I've been there for about a year. Um, I do I do fee for service therapy, which is fairly common for people just getting into the profession. Uh, basically working as an independent contractor. So the agency gets the clients, but then I function as the therapist for them, which as a fee-for-service therapist, it gives you a lot more flexibility in how you're doing the work. Uh, if you're working for directly as an employee of an agency, they might kind of micromanage the work a little bit more. Uh, but this gives me more freedom to function in a way that's comfortable for me, which was something I didn't take for granted. Um, you know, I study and practice feminist therapy, which has a huge social justice element to it. Uh, it's a very non-diagnostic approach to therapy and one that isn't, isn't favored by every agency out there. But yeah, so I've been there for about a year. As I, I think I mentioned before, I'm seeing, I see 25 to 30 people a week. Um, regular, fairly wide-ranging demographic. Um, The agency is in Queens, New York, which is one of the most diverse areas in in the nation. And I see that reflected in my client base. Work with adults only and um, couples. Awesome. Um, And then actually, can you speak a little bit about your past experience? Uh, at Apicha Community Health Center, and maybe some of your responsibilities there and also some skills you use there. Sure. Well, let me kind of um, put that together with um, Main Chance. Those were my two field placements while I was at NYU. When you're an MSW student at NYU and most, most social work programs, you are in school for a couple of days a week and then you have to do a field placement for 21 hours a week. Um, again, that's most schools have that requirement. It's usually a state licensing requirement. So during my first year, I was at a homeless shelter in the city. Your first year, typically they, they put you somewhere they want to put you. They don't, you don't really have a lot of choice in where you're going. Um, second year, I was at Apicha, which is more my choice. Um, at Apicha, I was doing short-term counseling. That's where I got my first real experience as a therapist. Um, the skills that I use, it's so hard to say. Therapy is, um, it's a mixture of science and art. You know, the science is there, the research is there. You learn about techniques and interventions, but you're working with an individual human being who has their own unique set of circumstances. And so an individual technique is not going to work the same way with every person you work with. You know, I compare it to medicine sometimes where if a person has a broken arm, you're pretty much gonna do the same thing with any person who has a broken arm. Um, you know, their, their cultural background, their family background doesn't really matter that much. Um, in therapy, all those things matter very much. So I really, I think I 
EHR, my just broad life experience, even my legal experience comes into play. You know, practicing law or learning law is very much about rational thinking and being able to work through particular issues and make, make connections between issues. And it's something that I found helpful even in working as a therapist with people. So Aperture was the first place I worked with that. Main Chance, which was the year before, that was the homeless shelter. That was an incredible experience. I was, I'll admit I was terrified by that. Um, it was not a population I had ever been exposed to. Um, and I recall one of the one of the requirements they said going in was that we had to run a weekly support group. Essentially for anyone who's, any of the clients who were in the building had to attend the support group and I was scared about doing that. That meant me for two hours being like just there with a group of homeless people. That ended up being my favorite part of the work. Um, you know, I, I learned so much about I mean, resilience for one thing. These are people who are in a circumstance that I can't even imagine being in. And, you know, they're pushing through and like trying to get the things done that they need to get done to get out of the shelter. Awesome. Um, and then also, can you touch a little bit about your current role at CAC Consulting as well? Uh, well, that, that's, that's actually me. Um, CAC is my initials. Um, that is the entity that I created to do the training sessions that I developed um, and potentially any other work. You know, I potentially do consulting work with organizations, particularly mental health, social service organizations who need you know, cultural humility training for working with justice involved individuals. It can be a single three or four hour session or it could be some ongoing work. Um, and I, really, I think I just used the term cultural humility. I should probably say something about that because I realize it's a um, mental health term that not everyone is familiar with. Um, people are probably more familiar with the term cultural competence, which is the idea of being aware of other people's cultural backgrounds so that you can, I guess, be sensitive to it in the work. Um, that was a concept that was always troubling to me because I can't be truly competent in another person's culture. Cultural humility is kind of a new alternative to it, which is essentially that you be aware of your own cultural background and the extent to which it, it informs how you're perceiving what people are telling you about. So if I'm listening to a client talk about an experience and I'm feeling like, oh, wow, that's a weird way to respond to that, I'm aware of the fact that you know, it's my background that's telling me that there's something weird. And I know that's a, that's a vague example, but I'm <laughs> just trying to give a sense of it. That's great. Um, and then I guess from years of experience and years of practice, how do you continue to make progress throughout your years of work? Um, I keep making progress. Um, just keep moving. <laughs> no, uh, let me let me try to. Well, all right, I'll, I'll approach that this way. You know, one of the big challenges of doing 
social justice work is maintaining some sense of optimism about it um, because it can very much feel like you know you're pushing against something that's immovable or that is even moving backwards and you know i'm probably betraying my own perspective but this current year has shown a lot of that to me um, things moving backward at the same time an optimism that the social justice movement may help push us forward but having said that it is hard especially having a longer view of history and realizing that in some sense we're still fighting things that we've been fighting since the 1960s and before uh, it can be very hard to maintain a sense of optimism and you know i i i won't be quoting him exactly but i i tend to fall back on james baldwin line where he says um again this is not an exact quote but he says i'm an optimist because i have to be and the idea is that if you're alive and a human being and engaged in society you need to believe that things can get better and there's there's no upside to being pessimistic so you push through in my own case on that front there you know i will acknowledge there are times when it does feel overwhelming and I guess the therapist in me has learned like to let myself feel that when I need to. And I think that's an important thing for everyone you know, to acknowledge what you're feeling. Um, talk to people if you can. Um, and just see that you can make a difference. You know, and I guess that's how I ultimately how I would answer that question of how I keep making progress is that I am constantly looking for ways that I can make some difference. I realize I can't, I'm not going to single-handedly change the criminal legal system. Um, I'm not Jeff Bezos. I don't have $196 billion. Um, but in doing the training sessions, for example, you know, I've probably helped some social workers learn how to work better with justice-involved individuals. And so I've made a difference. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in this area in particular, just keep looking for ways that you can make a difference. Great answer. Um, and then I guess, I guess. And Diet Pepsi, by the way, that keeps me going too. <laughs> I mean, your typical day obviously must have drastically changed because of the <laughs> pandemic and stuff like that. So can you tell us a little bit about how your daily routine changed and maybe also how your approach to social justice issues had to adapt to the times? Um. Well, the most concrete example on the second part of that is that I, you know, the training sessions that I did were always in person. Again, you know, three or four hour sessions. I just recently did my first webinar with NASW. Um, it was two hours. Um, and that, that was because of them. They, they did research that basically suggested that two hours is pretty much as long as you want to go on a webinar which I think makes a lot of sense. I think having people sit in front of a computer for three or four hours would be really hard. Um, that was something I wasn't sure how I felt, like whether I felt like I could actually do that. I'm very used to standing in front of people and having a lot of engagement and getting energy back from people. Uh, so I wasn't sure how it would feel to sit in front of a computer and do it. And admittedly, at first, I did have to fight against the feeling or the sensation that, like, I'm just sitting here talking to my computer. 
Um, you know, in, in the webinar, I use a PowerPoint, which means you're not seeing the other participants. You're just looking at your PowerPoint and talking. So there's this sense that you're just talking into the void. But I did it, you know, and we looked for ways to maintain engagement, you know, through the chat box. And I felt like it did work out well. Um, same thing essentially happened with my work as a therapist. You know, rather than seeing people face to face in a room, we were talking on video. And, you know, it was one thing with people who I had already met before. It was kind of an easier transition into the video. But I've also done it with people who are new and it's worked out okay. And I think one of the advantages of it is that people do get to be at home and they feel a little more comfortable than they might in a room with a therapist. So I think there, there's some balancing there. Um, I will add, I think, um, to that, and this is something I had to talk to a lot of people about as the pandemic was starting. It was important to me early on to establish boundaries for myself. Because you know, if you're working at home and then you're being at home, it could just all blur together. And then home becomes very stressful. So, you know, I've worked with a lot of people to establish, like, how can you create a divide between home and work for yourself? So, you know, the first thing I observed was that I have a, when I'm going to work, I have about a 30 or 40 minute commute into the office. And I kind of missed that coming out. Because that was the 30 or 40 minute commute to kind of readjust to being home. Um, Right. Go to your question? Did I go off the question? No, that was great. <laughs> um, and then in terms of aspiring social justice advocates, what suggestions or words of wisdom were you, would you give them? Words of wisdom? <laughs> um, putting some pressure on there. As, well, I'll, I'll leave it at the suggestions. Um, you know, I think just spend a lot of time educating yourself on whatever area it is that you're interested in. Yeah, in my case, like I said, it was criminal legal system and I, I knew that. There was no doubt by the time I started that that was the area I wanted to work in, but that's only one area. And what I did, I was in school at the time, which helped, but I, you know, I connect, like I said, I connected with the one professor at NYU who was working in the area. I got to know him well. I was doing my own research and reading. I was connecting with organizations that were doing the work. So I was attending events. You know, there was a good, during that first year, I basically never said no to going to an event. Um, you know, they weren't all wonderful things to go to, but you know, I learned a lot. I met people. Um, you know, one of the things that I learned from the NYU, or a suggestion I got from the NYU Career Services Office was, um, about information interviews. I don't know how familiar people are with that, but um, it's the idea of finding someone who's in the field that you want to be involved with and just reaching out to them to talk to them, not asking for a job. The idea is to talk to them about how they got into the field, what they like about it. Um, I mean, it's kind of this, but you know, one-on-one -on -one in person, um, or it's probably on video now too. Um, and that was something I did. And I connected with another person. And people are very enthusiastic about doing that. So. Right. 
That's great advice. Um, and I would definitely highly recommend that as well. Um, and then finally, before we go on to any Q&A questions, uh, what courses or clubs should students partake in? Uh, what maybe is the typical path for a successful social justice advocate to take? I don't know that there is a typical path. <laughs> um, I think there's a lot of fields. I mean, the three fields that I went through, you know, political science, law, social work, those are all very paths that can lead to social justice work. Um, I think in each case, it's a question of kind of knowing that going in and focusing your classes in those areas. You said as a law student, I worked with the ACLU president and I took several courses that I think helped me in the area. Um, more broadly, I think learning something about the history of the area that you're talking about. Um, you know, with criminal legal system, uh, can I do a book plug <laughs> for not my book? Um, um, Michelle Alexander wrote a book, The New Jim Crow, which is a really excellent history showing systemic racism as it plays out through American history right up into the criminal legal system. And I think that's a good foundational text for anyone who wants to do this particular type of work. Um, you know, understanding something about the law and politics involved in the area that you're interested in. And I mean, maybe, maybe most importantly is understanding how money impacts the system that you're talking about. You know, with the criminal legal system, we know we have for-profit prisons. And that's an important thing to be aware of in trying to work to change the system, knowing that there are people who are making money on it and that those people are not gonna to wanna to stop making money on it. All right, um, thank you for that. And if anyone has any Q&A questions, feel free to post it in the Q&A module down below. But while we don't have any right now, um, I'm going to go into some other questions that we have. Um, the first of which is, what is really the mindset you have to have when advocating for social justice? Or maybe what mindset do you have to have as a therapist? I wonder if it's the same answer for both of those. Um, I'll find out as I answer you now. Um, well, a mindset for social justice, like, like I said before, you have to have a good sense of optimism that's going to be able to withstand setbacks and defeats. Um, you know, I think, you know, we, uh, as a recent example in New York, about a year or so ago, they implemented, or actually it's beginning of this year, they implemented a bail reform where they eliminated bail, basically. Um, and that resulted in a lot of people being released from Rikers Prison in New York. And one of the things as a social justice advocate you have to be prepared for is the fact that once that happens, if people start associating crimes with the people who were released, there's going to be a backlash. So you have to know that like this advance is going to trigger a backlash and you have to be ready for it and ready to deal with it. I think you have to be very good at critical thinking for social justice work. You have to be able to look at a potential reform 
and say like, you know, is this really going to accomplish what you intend it to accomplish? What side effects might it have? Um, that's something I've written on, it's like things I've posted on LinkedIn before too. Um, you know, I, in, a, in a lot of settings with other social justice advocates, you know, people will start talking about a reform that happened and there's kind of a celebratory mood. And I find increasingly my role has become the wet blanket. I'm kind of like, yeah, it's great that we did that, but here's the problems with it. And I don't always like that, but you know, I think it's necessary to be mindful of what's going on and what can happen. As a therapist, um, that's a lot more challenging. One of the things, I guess one of the most challenging things about being a therapist is realizing that you're not always going to see whatever results are happening. You know, going back again to the comparison to medicine, and, and I don't mean to be trivializing medicine, by the way, um, but you know, if you help somebody who's suffering from an illness or an injury, you're typically going to see the recovery from it. Mental health is a lot more complex than that. Um, and yeah, I hope that didn't sound wrong either. Uh, not saying medicine is not complex. <laughs> But you know, healing and recovery, you might not see it happening. Uh, you're not always going to get the validation for the work that you're doing. And you know, the dirty little secret is that you know we're not supposed to want that. Um, but who doesn't want validation in the work they're doing? All right. Um, and then I guess the final question I have is, how do you really make effective change, and what skills or techniques can you employ to really Make sure that your impact is positive. I think um, I think you have to look at what your essential principles are in the work. And you have to make sure that the work you're doing is consistent with that. You know, for me, I ground all my work, well, social justice work is all based on a human-centered, strengths-based approach to criminal justice. Human-centered in that we recognize the inherent worth in every human being, regardless what the person did. You know, we can judge the action, we can hold the person accountable for the action, but that doesn't have, they don't have to diminish their humanity as a result of doing it. I think that's where we go wrong as a society. Strengths-based implies or suggests that if people are given a chance to be accountable for what they did, they will very often want to be. And our current system doesn't really allow for that. It's a punishment-based system. So again, you know, to me, it's like knowing what your core, principle are, core principles are. Um, as far as therapy, and this goes into social justice too, my main principle is that I believe every human being has Every human being has the right to a fair opportunity to live a meaningful life. And that, you know, that does go into social justice. It also goes into therapy. It's kind of what I work towards in both areas. So Great. Those, those are mine. I think it's just important to know what your core principles are. Great. Thank you very much for that. Um, and thank you very much for speaking with us here today, for answering our questions. Um, and just providing some insight, tips, knowledge, suggestions 
uh, for others to follow. And I'm sure the students and audience members that will view this later will greatly appreciate uh, what you've shared with us here today. Um, and without that, um, you can visit our website, virtualstudentexperiences.com for more information. Um, but other than that, I think we are done here today. Thank you very much for joining us today, Ms. Cunningham. Thank you for inviting me.